Welcome to the Color and Chaos podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Jonah Fair, and I'm coming to you from Macomb, Michigan. Such an honor that you are taking your time to watch or listen to this podcast. If you are listening to this podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And the same goes with watching this. You can subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and ring the bell so you don't miss any episodes. The cry of this heart is just to lean into the difficulty, the pain, the chaos of life. And instead of running away from or numbing ourselves from that pain, difficulty, and chaos of life, we lean into it, not through our own strength or our own ability, but we lean into it knowing that at the end of that pain, that trouble, that chaos, we can know more about who we are and also know more about our creator, savior, and sustainer. No matter where today finds you, you are loved and it's not by accident that we're here today. So let's pray. Lord God, just thank you so much that you waste nothing. Lord, you know exactly what you're doing and you have a plan and purpose in the lives of those that are watching and listening to this right now. And so Lord, have your will and way within us. Take us deeper in intimacy with you. Take us deeper in relationship. Take us deeper in desire for you. Jesus, we need you. We look to you. And it's in your name we pray and we surrender. Amen. Amen. As of recording this episode, I believe we're up to like 150 something episodes that we've done here on the podcast. And each and every week that I sit down here and I record, I hit the record on the camera and I I start recording the audio. Each and every week where I do that, I get just as terrified as if it was the very first time I was doing this. And there are weeks where I have things planned that I feel led to talk about. And maybe it's something that I've been kind of thinking about for weeks or months or, or even longer. And there's also some weeks where it's literally like, hey, look, let me bring you into this room as we're recording. And I just want to share my heart because I feel like what the Lord has been putting on my heart is something that can minister to you where you are as well. My heart in recording these is never to preach, but it's really honestly just to be as genuine as I can about the awkwardness and the messiness and the beauty and the joy of following Jesus. And no matter where you're at in your walk with Jesus, whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, no matter where you're at, I pray that this can meet you where you are. And that's really a genuine cry from my heart. What I'm talking about today on this episode is something that really just has happened recently and it's something that I'm presently just meditating on and walking through. But it's something that the Lord has really put on my heart to talk about. But recently, a friend reached out to me And they said, hey, I would love to meet up with you and get coffee or just meet up. I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear how you've gotten to where you are and what the Lord's been doing in your life. And so I met up with this friend and we talked for about three hours and I just went through my life. I went through growing up and it's always very neat going through your life story because it just reminds you of things that sometimes you forget about. We get towards the end of this conversation about three hours later and the person just starts sharing what the Lord has been doing in their life and things that the Lord has been showing them. Then they go on to proceed to speak to me, just kind of speak directly to me about things that they feel like the Lord's been putting on their heart concerning me. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like that, that you are just like, okay, God, like I feel like you're speaking through this person to me. And they're saying things that 
man, I, I didn't know that they knew or that they could have known, but like I'm here and I'm like, they got a captive audience. I'm, I'm right here. And so I'm sitting here in this office and this person is just kind of pouring into my life and, and speaking over my life. Then they proceed to ask if they can anoint my head with oil. And I don't know if you've ever been anointed with oil, but growing up in the context of South Carolina, there wasn't really many opportunities to be anointed with oil. And I'm sure it happened. I'm sure at different churches that they did that. But it's not necessarily something I've ever really been through. I feel like I have anointed others with oil if they were sick or something like that. But I've never personally been anointed with oil before. For those not familiar with the whole idea of anointing somebody with oil, you can find it multiple times throughout the scripture, and you can also find it just throughout history. When a person would become a king, they would be anointed with oil, and usually it was a very precious oil, something that signified something very significant. So the person's praying over me, and they anoint me with oil in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit on my forehead here. It just kind of hits me that the oil that this person anointed me with is frankincense, frankincense. And so I looked up in the Bible, this specific anointing oil, frankincense, and to my research, it was mentioned 22 times in the Bible. And as I was looking through the scripture, I was just looking at all the moments that frankincense was used and the significance that it had. One of the passages in the scripture where frankincense is referred to and used is in Exodus chapter 30. Verse 34 to 36, it was one of the ingredients in the perfume of the sanctuary. And in many times, especially in the King James, the word incense is used instead of using the word frankincense. Also throughout the scripture, it's used as a complement to meat offerings that were given within the temple or within the sanctuary. So it was a perfume within the sanctuary. It was a complement of meat offerings. It was also used as a traditional medicine. And we also see one of the, I guess, the most famous passage within the scripture where frankincense was used was in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And so within this, you see infant Jesus. He's born and the Magi, these group of men, come to visit Jesus to pay pay respects. And so they pay respects by giving gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In Smith's Bible Dictionary, it describes frankincense by giving a little bit more history behind the origin of the beginning of the word frankincense. And it says this, it was called frank because of the freeness with which, when burned, gave forth its odor. It burns for a long time with a steady flame. Another use of of different perfumes or resins during the biblical times would be in order to mask the smell of decomposition. When someone would die, they would put a lot of perfumes or a lot of different oils, such as frankincense or even myrrh. They would use that as a way to mask the odor of a body that's decomposing. As I was sitting there, as my friend was praying over me and anointing my head with oil, praying that whatever the Lord had planned to do, that the Lord would give strength and give courage and give boldness and give direction and wisdom to, as that was being prayed over me, I smelt the oil of that frankincense. As I walked to my car, I smelt the oil of that frankincense. As I drove home, I smelt the oil of that frankincense. And every single time that I smelt that oil, and immediately connected in my mind with a burial. My heart is, is that during this time we have together that we will have a frankincense mindset of, okay, Lord, show me the significance 
of this life that you've given me. Help me look through the filter of seeing my life as a temporary gift that one day will be required from me. In Revelation chapter 5, John, the Apostle John, the friend of Jesus, he has this revelation as he's exiled to the island of Patmos. And he says this in Revelation chapter 5, and this is a passage that's one of my favorite passages within the entirety of Scripture, and there's a reason. But here, let's read this passage together as we go a little deeper into this whole frankincense mindset that I'm encouraging us to have and challenging us to have in this moment. Revelation chapter 5, this is what John says. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy enough to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and his seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beasts and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beasts and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Verse 11, then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beasts and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beasts said, amen. And 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb. For many that are watching or listening to this, this podcast, you've maybe never smelt frankincense or whatever. It's really not about frankincense. <laughs> In this revelation that John is having of the end of days, it's interesting how he refers to the prayers of the people of God as being an incense that rises up before him. An incense that is captured, that there is not one prayer that has gone unnoticed, but everything rises to our God like an incense, like the smell of frankincense, to our God. 
I remember when I went to college, I enrolled in a school, and I didn't know it at the time, but the school was a big missionary school. And I was just a follower of Christ for about a year at this point. I felt like the Lord was calling me into ministry, and I was just stepping out in obedience. So I go to this school. It's a missionary school. I don't really know really much about the whole idea of being a missionary. Again, I'm kind of new to this. And I remember the very first chapel that we had before school even started. This was a night chapel. As freshmen, we got there kind of early before the rest of the upperclassmen got there. And there was the very first chapel. And this was a chapel that parents were invited to kind of sit in on. It was kind of like a little orientation at this Bible college and seminary that I went to. And the very first chapel, I remember standing there. It was nighttime. And the whole chapel is centered around praying for those that are being martyred. It was almost like a memorial service for those that were alumni of the school that have given their life as followers of Jesus, proclaiming the name of Jesus. As I was there in this chapel service, this was kind of a new concept to me. I didn't know anything about martyrdom or missions or anything like that. I've heard of missionaries. I've heard of martyrs, but I, I never really thought about it. And I remember that night just telling the Lord, like, Lord, oh, I did not know that the school was going to be so focused on missions, but Lord, this is all new to me. And I don't know if I'm going to do any of this that they're talking about. I mean, it was an intense chapel service. There was people weeping and they were just listing off the names of former alumni who have given their life in mission. Whether here in the United States, they, they gave their life, as proclaiming the name of Jesus, and it was taken from them because of their proclaiming of Jesus, or overseas. And it was just going down a list, a list, a list of names of people I've never met before. And it was intense. I remember going back to my dorm, and I was just like, what the heck? What school did I enroll in? And guys, like, this, again, was such a new concept to me. And I remember just kind of telling the Lord, Lord, I don't know what all this is about, but that's not me. That's not me. And over the course of a couple of months, the Lord started working within my heart and started to tell me, Jonah, I know you've given me your life and you've asked me to be Lord of your life, but Jonah, there's an area of your life you haven't yet surrendered. You haven't yet surrendered. And so for about a couple months, the Lord just kept over and over just saying, Jonah, give up, give up, give up, give up. And you might be saying, give up what? Give up that hold that I had over the direction of my life. I was holding on to this security, this comfort, and saying, Lord, I'll do anything for you, but I will not give my life, my physical life. If that's what you ask me to do, I will not give that. I will not give that. If you call me to step out of my comfort zone into a land that I don't know, to leave the comforts of family and friends, God, I won't do that. I won't do that. And so constantly the Lord was just saying, hey, hey, Jonah, 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 Lord, I know you want to follow me, but you can't truly follow me unless you surrender, unless you surrender, surrender. And so I remember one night I was in my room and I just could not go to bed. I just knew that there was a part of me that has not surrendered full control over whatever the Lord wanted to do with my life, even if that meant one day giving that life to tell others about him. 
And I remember getting out of my bed and my very first Bible that I had, I, I wrote uh, a lot of these different like promises that I was uh, that I would make to the Lord. And so there's promises like, Lord, I promise to remain pure. Uh, Lord, I promise to seek after you. Lord, I promise to be intentional. Lord, I promise to, um, if you bless me with a family, to raise them in your ways. And there's like this little space on the bottom. And this was on like the front behind the cover of the Bible. And and there's all these these things that I that I vowed to the Lord, and all these things that I signed in my Bible were not things that I knew that I could do on my own strength, but it was literally just signing away, saying, "Lord, through Your strength, I will be pure. Through Your strength, I will follow You. I will be intentional." All that to say. So I'm here and I'm on my floor and my Bible is there on my little counter. And I, so I took the Bible off. I put it on the floor. I open it up to the front and I see that there's this little space. There's, there's enough space for me to sign something else. And within that spot, I knew what the Lord was calling me to do. And I literally said, Lord, if it is your will for me to die a martyr, then I will follow you. And I signed it. And, and guys, I'm not saying that to boast or say, hey, look how spiritual I am. I'm saying, guys, like I was weeping in that moment. It was a hard thing to do, but there was a joy. There was a joy in that surrender because I knew, Lord, literally as best to my ability, God, there's nothing. There's nothing I'm holding on to anymore. When you get to a point that you're saying, look, Lord, I'm willing to give it all. Those are moments where the Lord overwhelms you in beautiful ways and shows you a depth to him that you couldn't have experienced through that hardness and that, that wall that you've built up in your heart towards your God. And we have a creator, savior, a sustainer that created us to have intimacy with him. And something that I was thinking about after I was anointed with that oil and, and just smelling the fragrance of that, that oil as I was going about my day is that everything that I signed above what I signed down there below of, Lord, I'm willing to give it all for you. Everything above is a byproduct that stems from our intimacy with our creator, savior, and sustainer. I think about passages such as Philippians chapter four, verse eight, that says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I see passages like this, whatever is true, noble, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think about such things. Paul, I can't do that. And I would agree, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that through my own strength. But guys, I share that to say this, that every struggle in my life, if I focus on that struggle, if I focus on that chaos or that hardship or that hurt or whatever it is, if we focus on that, we miss the deeper need. The deeper need isn't just knowing what is pure or lovely or admirable or right and thinking about such things. We will think about such things when we have an intimacy with Jesus. In the moments where I have intimacy with my God, heck yeah, I'm thinking about whatever's true, noble, pure, honorable, lovely, admirable. Yeah, I'm thinking about such things. It's a byproduct of my intimacy with God. Literally, all that we're called to do is be obedient today and to trust everything else to our creator, savior, sustainer that is in his hands. Everything else is a byproduct of our intimacy with him. But we have an enemy that wants to still kill and destroy. 
We have an enemy that wants to take our mind, focus it on all these other things, and neglect the intimacy, the deeper need that our hearts were created for that can only be filled by an intimacy, not with a person or a thing or a place. That's not what we need to focus on. What we need to focus on is on Jesus, and the rest will come. I think about Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about all this stuff that all these people that are not followers of me will worry about, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself. <laughs> and, and as I was just thinking after being anointed with that oil and all this other stuff, it's like, Lord, literally, when I focus on you, when my heart is saying, Lord, I just want to know you more and more and more and more. And I want to follow you. I want my life to be a reflection of you more and more and more. Everything else will be a byproduct of that. And we have an enemy that wants us to think about everything else but Jesus. And so he gets us busy. We have an enemy that gets us focused on our own behavioral modification or our own mess ups or whatever. Ultimately, we have an enemy that wants to get us to the point that we take our own life because we feel there's no point of living. But I'm here to tell you today, heavy heart, no matter where today finds you, in a good season, bad season, whatever, don't give in to the lies. It's not true. All the things that you're focusing on, let it go. Let it fade. And instead, focus on your creator, savior, sustainer, and everything else that we're praying for, that we're longing for. Everything else that we're longing for, the intimacies of this life that we're longing for will be fulfilled in an intimacy with our creator, savior, and sustainer. Intimacy with our God is key. And I wrote down some things that, that help us have and gain that intimacy that we long for with our creator, savior, sustainer. The first thing that intimacy thrives on is honesty. Honesty. Even earthly intimacy thrives on honesty. If you want a depthness to your earthly intimacies, be honest. Not just one person being honest and the other person holding back. No, no. When two people are honest, there's intimacy that is produced. So honesty, humility. When walls come down and you're able just to, to see a person for who they are and know that that person sees you for who you are and you're accepted, there's in that honesty and that humility, there's intimacy that comes. Intentionality, being intentional, seeking after that person, wanting to know more about who that person is, desire, appreciation, reverence, all these things grow our intimacy. How much more does it grow our intimacy with our creator, savior, sustainer, who we were created for our intimacy to find its fulfillment in? So being honest, being humble, being intentional, all these things will grow our intimacy. But we have an enemy that wants us to get so just complicated in our faith that we just throw it all out. But guys, there's an intimate relationship with your creator, savior, sustainer that should be foundation to any evidence that you build on top of that. And again, I know what I'm talking about sounds crazy. It goes completely opposite of any logical thought patterns of this world so often. But guys, I'm telling you, 
There's a king and a kingdom beyond this earth. So I'm not going to look to the ways and the tactics of, of, of earthly kingdoms to try to understand a heavenly kingdom that goes beyond my understanding. I'm going to look to him. You don't have to understand all of the Bible to understand that there's a man named Jesus. He lived, he died, and he rose again. Whether you believe that or not, that's up to you. But the rest will come as a byproduct of that. What this man taught and lived and died for is important. And if he rose again, as Paul said, that's what everything in our faith hinders on. Did he raise again? Did he resurrect from the dead? And if he did, then he is our Lord. And we are to follow him. Everything else should be based upon him. Our contentment comes from seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will take care of itself. Everything stems from our intimacy with our God. As we surrender to Christ, the Bible says that we receive the spirit, the same spirit that rose him from the dead. And when we grieve that spirit through a lack of obedience to our creator, savior, sustainer, our lack of obedience to Jesus, when we grieve that spirit, it grieves that intimacy. If you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, you are loved and nothing can change that love. It's not a conditional love. It's not an earthly father or an earthly mother or an earthly friend that based on what you do, maybe you've experienced a, a, a withdrawal of love. The love of our God towards us, there's nothing that can withdraw that, but we can either deny that love and refuse to accept that love that was given freely through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the victory that was accomplished through the resurrection of Christ from the grave. And we can accept or deny the freedom that the Spirit is calling us to through an obedience and a reverence and a submission to letting every area of our life be in the hands of our Creator, Savior, Sustainer and say, Lord, what you will for my life, Lord, may that be my will. May your will for my life become the will that I have. May what you desire to do in my life be my desire. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to follow in the ways that you call me to travel and to go. Everything in our life stems from an intimacy with our God. I remember when we were in college, there was a class that I, that I took. It was called Discovering the Mission of God. And there is a chant that we were looking at and studying that, that finds its origin within 1700s missionaries. And these missionaries had this chant, and this chant was this, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Later on in the day, as I, as I went home, I was taking a shower before going to bed, and, and I smelled the aroma of the frankincense fill the, the room where I was taking the shower. I, I had a song on, and this song, the, the worship artist, she was singing this chant. She said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And she says it over and over and over. And here I am, I smell this fragrance and, and I'm washing myself. And this, this chant is playing over and over and over and over and over again. And then she says at the very end, she says, starting with me. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering, starting with me. And it just hit me in this awe, just thinking like, God, this is what it's about. 
This is what it's about. Lord, may every day be preparing us for our burial. And may us not be obsessed with our burial, that we're not of any earthly good. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard that saying of being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm advocating being so heavenly minded that all of your life, you're saying, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just this Moravian chant <laughs> that was just playing as, as I'm here in the 21st century. That was just playing the 300 years plus that has gone on since this chant finds its origins. I'm saying, God, there's nothing new under the sun. May you give me that frankincense mindset, that pure heart that says, Lord, All that matters is intimacy with you and everything difficult that you call me to will be a byproduct of that intimacy. So often we get so obsessed with, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What's your calling? What's your will for my life? What's my giftings? What's my talents? All this stuff. And even though that stuff is of importance, it's a byproduct of the first thing that we should be focusing on. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will take care of itself. For those that are listening or watching this that are followers of Jesus, you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. May we have a fire of a first love within us towards our God, a fire, a passion and intimacy that goes beyond any earthly love that we have experienced or will experience here on this planet. There's a song by one of my favorite artists, And the name of the artist is My Epic. And the name of the song is Perfector. And there's an opening line in this song. And he says this, I'm still a young man, so I think very little of death. Who really does till it's coming for them? And I know with each breath, I come one closer. But death is just a hook behind the door where I'll leave my dirty clothes. The artist in this song, he's reflecting on this biblical reality. That look, death, I'll just hang up these dirty clothes and I'll step into this heavenly robe that was purchased on the cross by my creator, by my perfecter. Psalms 116 verse 15 says this, precious to the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. And this is not a death that we enact upon our own doing, but this is a death that we step into through obedience to our creator, savior, sustainer. Whenever that time comes, we're not to focus and obsess over that death, but we should have a frankincense mindset to walk through each and every day saying, Lord, this is a gift. Lead me, lead me. This is a gift. Lead me, lead me. Lord, may I know you even deeper today. May that be the prayer each and every day that we're alive. And one day, this life will be no more. But death is just a hook that will hang our dirty clothes in that moment. I wanted to end today's episode reading a quote from an interview with an artist named Matt Papa. And he wrote this song that's based on this Moravian chant that we have mentioned here on this episode. 
And the name of the song that Matt Papa released around this time was a song called The Reward of His Suffering. And again, it's focused on Revelation chapter 5, and it's focused on this chant. And he's given an interview, and he's explaining a little bit of the background of this song and this chant. And, and it goes with what we're talking about today, of having that frankincense mindset. And so this is what the artist Matt Papa says in his interview with Bobby Giles. He says this, The reward of his suffering is based on a quote that became a rally cry for the Moravian missionary movement in the 1700s. And the phrase was this, may the land that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. So it was the worthiness of Christ that drove tons of missionary movements and zeal. The story that popularized the phrase is that two young men were compelled to go to an island and share the gospel with people who hadn't heard it before. They weren't sure how they were going to get there, so they decided to sell themselves into slavery. They made the decision to go, said goodbye to their family and friends, They were planning on leaving forever, and they got into a ship and set out. As the ship was pulling away, one of the men raised his arm and said, May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. It was an epic moment of seeing how the worthiness of Christ drives people to surrender. May the worthiness of Christ drive you and me to surrender today. In the book, Live No Lies, by the author John Mark Comer, he said this, We scratch our heads at the New Testament's language of the flesh, an essential culture where people equate feeling good with being good. Whether consciously or subconsciously, we're quick to dismiss these categories altogether. But then we wonder why we feel an instant tug of war in our chest that sabotages our peace. And we're mystified by the chaos in our newsfeed. Why is the world such a mess? Why am I? While it's easy to scoff at the ancient categories, I believe the world, the flesh, and the devil are alive and well. And aided by our skepticism, they are wrecking havoc in our souls and society. But hear me loud and clear. Our war against the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, the devil, is not a war of guns and bombs. It's not against other people at all. It's a war on lies. And the problem is less that we tell lies and more that we live them. We let false narratives about reality into our bodies and they wreak havoc in our souls. Heavy heart, no matter where today finds you, your life is precious and it's a gift. May the land that was slain Receive the reward of his suffering, and that is obedience. Have you been walking on a surface that's uncertain? Have you helped yourself to everything that's empty? You can't live this way too long. There's more than this, more than this. Have you been standing on your own feet too long? Have you been looking for a place where you belong? You can rest, you will find rest You can rest, you will find rest Savior 
this world has offered Have you been giving into all these masquerades? It will be Have you been looking for a place where you belong? 